It's time to get informed and inspired. This is Saturday Morning Live, sponsored by Asset Advisors, LLC, at Linden Sheet Metal on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. KGMI and the Cascade Radio Group receive financial compensation to present this program in its entirety. Opinions and information expressed are those of the host and or sponsors and do not necessarily reflect those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Good morning and welcome to the fourth corner version of Saturday Morning Live. This is Charlie Crabtree, your host, and we always appreciate our sponsors, Asset Advisors, and Linden Sheet Metal. This morning, uh, we have, uh, if you read the Four Corner uh, newsletter this week, uh, we have a couple of guests. And the first one this morning is going to be Ron Wiesen from Skagit County. He's a Skagit County commissioner. And we're going to learn a little bit about what that all means from him and talk to him about uh, uh, as many issues as we can get to. One favorite thing for me may be their Justice Center, but if we don't get there, we don't get there. Um, Ron has been kind enough to come to the studios to give us a briefing, and uh, we're going to just start having a conversation and and see where it goes. So tell us a little bit about, I know I looked this up, in, in Whatcom County, we created a quote-unquote home rule charter in 1978, which created our county executive and our our council, seven-person council. Um, that took away from us back in 1978 the, quote, commissioner system. Well, there's a couple more people I know in Whatcom County uh, that are new since 1978. So is there? can you just give us a short rundown on what the difference would be between a commissioner system and the home rule, quote, form of government? Yeah, thank you very much for having me up here, Charlie. I uh, really appreciate it. The conversation is uh, important to people to understand. The state constitution was set up. Um, they had the standard three commissioner system. and But then over the years, they've allowed a different way to do the charter system, and that's where you elect the freeholders. I know Skagit County has gone through it at least twice, maybe three times. Um, but in the three commissioner system, the three of us are representing we're the executive branch and also the legislative branch. Oh, so see. we do both of those at the same time. And so that's the little the difference. And so uh, we, I think it works really well, good for Skagit County. Okay. So you mentioned commissioners and you mentioned you're, uh, you're one of those. Tell us a little bit about that and where, what part of the county and how you're elected and when and all that good stuff. So Skagit County has three commissioners, and we divide it up based on population in the census. And so I have District 1, which is Anacortes to Skagit okay. River, okay. and then around Burlington, and then up uh, Cook Road a little ways, and over to Alger and Blanchard in that area. So I have do you, the, have, the do you have LaConnor? I do have LaConnor. LaConnor yeah. also, okay. And then District 2 is uh, the Mount Vernon area in the southern part, and then District 3, which is the Cedawoolly area. Um, in the East County area. so But it's based on population, so it's pretty close to the same population numbers. Right. So you get elected every four years. It's a four-year term, and we have a primary in Washington. You have to file in that uh, week in May. And depending on how many people file for your position, you have the primary, and only the people in your district get to vote in the primary. But in the general election, it's, the whole county. Votes. It's at large in the general election, too? It, it's at yeah. large, yeah. 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 Wow. Okay, so how many people, how many voters compared? I know Whatcom County's right sitting at about 159,000. How many voters in Skagit? How many in, approximately in your district? We're about 85,000 altogether oh. in Skagit. And, um, you know, I got some numbers the other day here looking at it. And it's like 35, 40. Thousand is on on my district. Right. Voted. Okay. So, um, what else happens in Skagit County that's interesting as far as your governmental uh, organization? You're you're up for election this year, which is totally different than we 
way we do it in Wacom, which is in the odd years, and maybe that's a uh, an interesting comment. But so you do it in the even years. Um, sounds like presidential. Is that all three commissioners? Nope, it's just two of us are up on the presidential election cycle. The other one runs two years before. So this um, it and is it partisan? It is a partisan seat, so you um, are able to, you know, file what party you would like. Um, currently, we have, uh, I think, three or four electeds that were independent. Okay. And so Peter Browning, which is one of our commissioners, he ran as an independent this last time, and so he was elected as an independent. Okay. And our prosecutor is independent, and our uh, assessor was independent. Okay. So... Are you running this year? Yes, I am running. Big this news year. here. Big news, yeah. Right here on KGMI Saturday Morning Live. Yep. So you're going to um, take off with that here this year. You got any opponents so far? So far, don't have any that I'm aware of. Right. But okay. that's, like I said, that one week in May is when people file. So right. that's when you find out. Okay. So we've talked over a little bit and mentioned something about your health board. Now, one of the reason, things that I'd like to get into in the health board just for a minute or two is um, kind of the differences. I know during COVID here in Whatcom County, the health board had a lot, and I mean really a lot of power and a lot of budget um, to do a lot of things to protect the people of, of Whatcom County. What kind of organizational differences or the same or what did you do in Skagit County during that period and what is the health department all about the health department is the department that the county commissioners appoint the directors so okay and we're uh the state they changed some of the rules with the health board during covid okay and so at one point you had to have a larger group for health board but we still have an advisory group, and also the three commissioners are our board. Okay. And um, so what else is uh, is happening as far as you are concerned? You live on a farm. What? Where do you live, and, and what, do, what do you do for a real living? Or do you do anything for a real living? County commissioners are scheduled their full-time job. Oh, okay. So uh, we get compensated accordingly. Um, but before that, I was working with a dairy farm with my four brothers, and so we're, I'm still involved on the weekends. And uh, we have about 700 cows and um, selling our milk to Organic Valley. So wow. we have a, one of the few left in the Skagit County, but uh, we're about 15 or 20 left in Skagit County, but their numbers are getting smaller and smaller. So, But I still get out on weekends. I still dehorned every calf out on the farm. So really? Still get out there. All right. So... It, so uh, what what are we talking about when we um, talk about a little bit about growth in Skagit County? Where's that happening most? Because of the growth management, we're really restrictive on where we allow that to happen. So our ag, NRL ground, our farm ground, we have one house for uh, 40 acres. So that's very limited. And the rest is happening inside the city. As our growth management, 80% of the population is supposed to take place in the cities or right. the urban growth area. And so... Um, that is going to Mount Vernon, Burlington is putting up quite a few apartments, and Anacortes is doing stuff also. Okay. And Cedar Woolley's growing a lot too. You go out there, there's a lot more apartments. Kind of the central around I 5 and that area yep. is where, and you haven't grown your, your what do they call it? The, the urban growth, growth area has not spread out. Right. So. All right. Well, that's, uh, I'm getting the signal, and it's time to take our first break. And this is Charlie Crabtree with the four corner version of Saturday Morning. Morning Live will be right back. The snow is dubbing in the mountains and foothills, which means it's time to gear up for winter fun. When it comes to outdoor play in the wintertime, nobody beats Mount Baker Motorsports in Bellingham. They're your authorized Arctic Cat snowmobile and off-road dealer and have everything you need for your winter adventures. Mount Baker Motorsports offers an extensive parts and accessories department, apparel for the winter riding season, and a service team for all repairs and upgrades to your existing sleds. Are you working outside during the cold and snowy season? Mount Baker Motorsports has you covered. They have an extensive selection of ATVs and side-by-sides that can be fitted with snow plows, cabin enclosures, and heater systems to ensure that you can get the job done. Stop by and visit Mount Baker Motorsports today at the corner of Woburn and Iowa in Bellingham, or check them out online at mountbakermoto.com. Mount Baker Motorsports, Whatcom County's premier power sports dealer, featuring Arctic Cat, Kawasaki, KTM, CF Moto, Husqvarna, and Gas Gas. 
When you buy a Subaru from Dewey Griffin, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value, and reliability that will last a long, long time. Simply put, you are buying trust. Celebrate them both now with special offers during the Subaru A Lot to Love event on now through April 1st. Dewey Griffin Subaru, community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. Everybody talks about the southern border. I live up here about five miles from the uh, Canadian border. Huh? Join us each weekday at 4 p.m. for KGMI Connects. I have picked up discarded clothing from people coming south. The Border Patrol's aware of this. I know of seven gotaways. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and MyBellinghamNow.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Good morning and welcome back to the fourth corner version of Saturday Morning Live. This is Charlie Crabtree on the air with Ron Wiesen, the county commissioner from Skagit County. And uh, we're just talking all kinds of What's government? What's election down there? How is that foreign country to Whatcom County people, that foreign country of Skagit County work, and and just what's going on? So we're going to kind of continue the conversation of tell us a little bit about what's happening in Skagit County now as far as the commissioner government and, the, and all of the rest. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we have uh, a electric or a ferry that uh, goes from uh, Anacortes <laughs> to uh, Guimas Island, uh -huh. and it's about forty-five years old and it's getting the end of the useful life. So we have been working the last three or four years on trying to replace it, and we went out to bid for the ferry itself uh, a month or two ago, and we only got two bids, and one of them was uh, inconclusive; they didn't fill out all the paperwork correctly, and so there was just one bid that was acceptable. And we looked at that bid price. It was like four or five million higher than we had anticipated Ooh. the engineered uh, estimates, and so we um, didn't accept the bid. So we are going to wait. And oh, you're going back at it. We went back to Olympia this last session, and we were asking for twelve million more dollars because we don't have the money to make this thing work. So, so y you run it, or does the state run it? No, nope, it's the county-owned ferry. There's okay. four counties in the state that has a ferry, and Watkins is one of them. Right. Right, and the the big deal though about the county running it that I can tell is it's probably a lot more on time than many of the county ferries have been since COVID. Is there have been issues with staffing and oh, really? a forty year old boat? Yeah, uh, breakdowns, yeah. you know, untimely breakdowns. Oh yeah, and uh, you know we've got to have three crew, you know, captain and two crew on the boat all the time, and so like some emergency call-outs, we haven't been able to get staff to come to the ferry to make it happen. So there's always been issues that way. Right. Yeah. What else is going on in Skagit County that's uh, important at this time? We've had uh, a discussion on our ag tourism or ag uh, type of events that are allowed to have out in our rural ag agricultural land. Um, there are um, type of events like. Tulip Festival, we oh. have those things. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and, big time. Um, some people are doing wedding venues and so forth on our ag general land, and that's ag natural resource land, and that's not really allowed. And so we're trying to figure out how we can keep the ones that are doing it there and try to get them in line. Because some of the buildings are built for a farm structure for storing equipment, but now they're having venues oh, in there I where see. people, people so we, are involved. Yeah. People are involved. So we have a responsibility for public safety, making sure those buildings are fire codes and um, energy codes and right. all those things. are right. happening. That's interesting. There's a lot of issues there. Yeah. yeah. So, and you, and anything else like down LaConnor way or Anacortes, those um, areas? Anacortes, uh, you know, they've been uh, going through a lot of different things, different work and so forth. Uh, we have helped them a couple times with their .09 money, which is our— What's that? Um, Distressed counties, uh, the counties are able to get .09% of the sales tax money as a refund back to the county, and then we can um, oh. give that out to government agencies. And we have 
uh, over the years, um, awarded Anacortis probably about a million dollars for their broadband. Anacortis is one of the only cities in the state that is doing their own broadband service. So oh, they own wow. the facilities, they're engineering it, and they're putting it in, and they're doing installation and billing, they're doing all that. So they started about five, six years ago, and it's meeting all the targets and all the goals to get the broadband to everybody who wants it. I just thought of something to put you on the hot spot. And that is they just got through an Olympia trying to raise the property tax from a normal 1% growth rate to 3% growth rate. We're, which side of the, the, the net uh, was Skagit County on? The um, issue with the counties on that, that's our only additional revenue source we're allowed to get. And so Skagit County, because of the initiative happened many years ago, you only go 1%. Right. So what's that 1% right. of what the assessed value of your area go up? So I think Skagit County is like 140, 150,000, what we can do. Um, I voted against it many times, but because of the inflation we've had the last few years, I've gone with the 1% Skagit County. Right. Um, when your cost of living keeps going up and the um, labor costs keep going up, um, we've got to have some revenue coming in to make that happen. And if we aren't able to get that, extra percent and i know some of the larger counties are really trying to figure out how do you if you don't have the money you got to what's the level of service you're going to carry out and what things are not going to get funded and so that's what we're trying to figure out right okay okay so scattered the county did not put a a, any recommendation on that one percent or three percent right okay well that's good news kind of Uh, they didn't pass it anyway so what are you going to do so anything else before we get on to the subject that I'm really let's, anxious to get on to? Let's get on to the jail. Yeah, let's get on to the Justice Center, they call it up here. Community Justice Center that we have at Skagit, yep. Talk about that a little bit. How did it pass? Where did you, Where is it? A number of people, number of beds. Um, how long did it take, you know, from the time that the the people started talking about it until you had a jail? I mean, we're all jealous up here that... that it kind of happened uh, in Skagit County before Whatcom, but give please tell us the We've story. We had uh, several different uh, voter levies we tried to get or bond issues we tried right. to do over the years, and we were working on it before 2009, 2010, and then because of the recession and everything, we just dropped it, and then we were able to bring it back in 2010 or 12. We brought it back, and uh, we made it happen. We voted to do it. We had decision on where to locate it. One of the things was in their downtown campus. There's some property was there, or um, we bought the old Truck City truck stop, which is south of Mount Vernon, so it's about a mile and a half or two miles away from the courthouse. And so that's where we built it. We built it uh, um, 400 beds, what it is. It's a quadrant system, so um, in the center up above is they have surveillance so they can look at the whole, all the different um, cells where they have the inmates at. And so they can see from there. Um, it was built with the kitchen large enough you can build another 400 bed if you need it. Uh. And it also has a medical area in it. So when people come in, they get checked out medically. Plus, there's a, we have a in medical provider. NAFCARE is the ones who does our, um, it's a private company that does our health inside the jail. And we also have a county health department nurse that is there to overlook how that company is dealing with the health issues and the mental health issues and the drug and other issues that people are coming in. And so that's what we have going on there. And I think it's been working very well, especially with COVID. We were able to not have to worry about having an outbreak because of the um, isolation. Because of the layout it is. That's the way they were able to do it. All right. And we do have a small courtroom there also. And so um, if somebody gets brought in during the weekend, they have to have their hearing. Um, the judges can go down there and have the hearing so we don't have to transport the people back and forth to downtown campus. Okay, yeah. And then also they can do Zoom and all those kind of things uh, to have hearings on electronically. And about how many uh, inmates, one kind or the other, do you have the capability now? We have the capability of, like I said, around, it's built for 400, but you only want 80%, so that's like 250 is what you're supposed to. I think we're about 250 right now. Right. And, you know, it changes every day and everything. <coughs> and one of the things when we were going through before we built, 
we had basically, we didn't have room in the jail, and so the prosecutor and the public defenders had to decide which ones they want to bring in. And so they had to uh, make decisions. So if somebody is arrested, is that high enough crime that they're going to go into jail, or are we just going to let them out? And so that's one of the things that people don't realize. The prosecutor and the jailer have the ability to make sure they have, you know, we had staffing shortages also with the jail. And so if you don't have enough staff, you can't have more inmates in there. So right. that's just because of the liability the county would have if um, something happens. All right. Well, it, it looks like, although I hope you stick around for a little while after the break, we've got another break coming up. And this is Charlie Crabtree with the fourth corner version of Saturday Morning Live. This is Dick Donahue and as host of Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI, I'm constantly looking for information for the shows that can assist you in evaluating long-term solutions for your financial future. It is sometimes difficult to see through the forest and maintain a vision for our future, one that is not only impacted by current events, but will meet our long-term needs as well, a balance that is sometimes hard to achieve. Join us at 11 a.m. each Saturday or 9 a.m. on Sunday for our Wealth Wake Up shows as we try and provide you some clarity or call us at Asset Advisors 360-733-1200 or check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. The opinions voiced on Wealth Wake Up or in our podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Bellingham Cider Company, with local craft ciders and locally sourced Pacific Northwest-inspired menu. You might know them for their delicious variety of cider flavors like their caramel apple and tips up cranberry with spruce tip cider plus other seasonal flavors. But you'll also be impressed with their menu, proudly sourcing their fresh food from local farms and businesses. Enjoy their in-house made ravioli, guajillo braised beef, or delicata squash salad. They're well known for their buttermilk brine chicken and waffles, but you'll also find juicy burgers made from Northwest raised beef or how about fresh Cascadia mushroom risotto. Yum! You'll appreciate the variety, selection, and flavors from the kitchen. Dietary restrictions? No problem. Their menu provides a host of vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, and dairy-free options. The solar-powered, eco-friendly restaurant is stocked with a full bar so you can enjoy your dinner and drinks with the best views in Bellingham Bay. Bellingham Cider Company, the place great ciders meet exceptional food with breathtaking views everyone can enjoy. Find them at 205 Prospect or at BellinghamCider.com. MyBellinghamNow.com is an exciting new news site covering Bellingham, Whatcom, and surrounding areas. Breaking news, community and business updates, local crime and sports reports, the stories that connect us and make this an incredible place to call home. Connect with our community like never before on the all-new MyBellinghamNow.com. And the best part, it's 100% free. No news hidden behind a paywall ever. MyBellinghamNow.com. Your community, your news, just a click away. MyBellinghamNow.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems, 0% interest financing, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and MyBellinghamNow.com. CBS News Brief. Right now in Munich, a meeting of world leaders taking place, talking international security issues like the war in Ukraine. In a joint press conference with President Zelensky, Vice President Harris says... History shows us if we allow an aggressor like Putin to take land with impunity... They keep going. What happens now that a judge ordered former President Trump to pay nearly $355 million in his civil fraud trial? CBS's Robert Costa says. He will be expected to put up the money or secure a bond. And sources close to Trump tell me that process could be a real test of how much cash Trump has on hand and of his net worth. Residents of Guerneville, California, are nervous about more flooding as back-to-back atmospheric rivers come through this weekend. It's discomfort and stress. You know, uh, I can't change anything. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn.
Good morning and welcome back to the fourth quarter version of Saturday Morning Live. This is Charlie Crabtree, your host for the second half hour of our show. Uh, we've got a, a phone in and we've got a guy here that is running for the office of Superintendent of Public Instruction. I always like that name because I get tongue-tied. Yeah, so we brought him on so that he can, one, say the name, explain a little bit about it, and uh, and his expertise will add to our education on that particular job. Chad, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, and it just flows off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Public instruction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, the the thing is now number two, I've got to I've got to be able to say your last name right. So do that one. Oh, me. that's easy. That's uh, rhymes <laughs> with Hagendas. So Magendas. Oh, yeah. oh, you're wonderful, Hagendas. Huh? All right. Um, welcome, and we're glad to have you on the show. It's an opportunity, I think, for the audience to learn some things about. Um, Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, or OSBI. Um, it's the one that kind of at least keeps track of schools in the state of Washington. And, I, you know, one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, is it just public schools or all schools? But we'll get to that. So tell us a little bit about um, what is OSPI. Well, the uh, OSBI actually manages most of the state budget because after McCleary, over 50% of our state budget goes to public education. What's McCleary? So McCleary was this landmark decision by the Supreme Court that decided that the state was not fulfilling its paramount duty to uh, to amply provide for the public education of of all students in our state. And that that ruling uh, came out the day that I announced for the legislature. And uh, I wanted to be part of that solution. I was at that time president of the Isco School Board, oh. and uh, I was elected to the uh, state house. And I was quickly appointed as ranking member of the House Education Committee, and I got to be one of the four lead negotiators for addressing that McCleary decision. And uh, that court order was weighing pretty heavily on our shoulders at the time because you know, that mandate, oh, but you just didn't have the money. And so uh, over you know about eight years. We uh, doubled, actually more than doubled, increased by 105% the state's investment in public education and uh, satisfied the courts. They actually validated that solution in 2018. Um, I, had the, um, I had the honor of serving as co-chair of the uh, Oversight Committee for, uh, for McCleary, as well as a whole bunch of uh, little, you know, t- little um, you know, working groups and things like that along the way. So like oh, the yeah. governor's work group on education funding, the education funding task force, the education accountability and system oversight committee, the quality education council, all those kind of led up to the negotiated decision um, that, that, you know, Became satisfied the McCleary ruling. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So with all that in your pocket, with all that experience and everything else, tell us a little bit more about yourself, where, where do you live and, how many years did you have in the legislature, and uh, and what are you doing now? Well, I, I've lived in the Esquire area for about 30 years, and um, I, I served on the uh, Esquire School Board, and I was elected president of the school board there. Uh, prior to that, I actually spent 12 years in the military as a nuclear submarine officer. Oh. I was based uh, out of Bangor, and so I lived in Bainbridge Island for many years. Um, I spent about 20 years at Microsoft um, in various roles, uh, program management mainly, but also development and design and uh, government relations and things like that. Um, and it was basically that which got me involved with education because I spent a lot of time interviewing candidates and getting kind of frustrated that we didn't seem to have many qualified candidates coming from the state of Washington. And so that's what got me involved with the PTA. And I became an outstanding advocate, PTA, Washington State PTA in 2009. I served on committees like the um, the online learning advisory committee for the state right. uh, as a PTA rep prior to being on the school board. And so <laughs> you know, looking back, we had looked for an opportunity to quote mainstream um, online learning and boy, did we get our wish during COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's good background to that. Yeah. yeah. Since, since I left the legislature and I served two terms, so four years uh, since I left the legislature, um, I actually, started volunteering in a program we created in 2009 when I was on the school board 
um, called the Teals Program. It was in partnership with Microsoft. And we started with Issaquah High School in 2009, and it has since expanded to 625 schools across the continent. Most of the kids taking the AP Computer Science exam in uh, in Washington State are going through a Teals program now. And so I What's it called a, again? What's, the, what's the acronym? Teals, uh, Teaching and Education and Learning. Uh, oh, sorry, Technology and Education and Learning. Yeah. Okay. And so Teals has spread like, you know, like a wildfire. I mean, it's just it's been hugely popular because you get people with a technical background, uh, you know, focusing on the content delivery. And yet there's still a certificated teacher in the class that, that handled classroom management. And we were actually experimenting with remote learning for quite some time before COVID. We, we were uh, using remote learning into rural areas like you know, rural Kentucky and things like that that just wouldn't normally have people with a tech background available to teach computer science. And it was wildly successful. So what happened then during COVID where we get all of this? Um, I'm getting into a little ahead of myself, but that's okay. Um, I get to, I'm the host. So when we talk about all of the damage, quote unquote, done by remote learning during COVID, I've been in, I've been on boards and so forth within the school system as well. And the fact that, that kids lost two years of social and regular learning, um, how does this TEAL program kind of tie into that? Didn't it become part of the problem? What happened? Well, no, I, I wouldn't say it was it was part of the problem. I mean, we were we were blazing trails with remote learning, but really, remote learning is not for everyone. And we find that kids who were kind of self starters and, and you know worked very well independently did very well during remote learning. But okay. that's not the majority of kids. Um, and so, the kids who especially needed the, um, the support structure that they find in their schools, you know, were floundering, and it really exacerbated the. the Achievement gap. We saw that we saw our opportunity gap actually widening during COVID, and so it was really bad news for equity in our schools. Right. And since 2019, I've actually been a full-time computer science teacher in the Bellevue School District, oh. and uh, I got to see firsthand exactly how it was affecting our kids. And I, I still have about 150 kids that come through my class every day who tell me they learned basically nothing during the uh, during the COVID years. Uh. And uh, we're building on that shaky foundation right now, just sort of passing them on to the next grade as if they learned all the learning standards for that grade, when in fact they haven't, they'll be the first to admit it. So I worry about this, this tendency to not appropriately level our kids when they come back from COVID so that they, they pick up where they left off. Uh, we had this bill that we passed during leg- when I was in the legislature that made sure that by third grade, we wouldn't advance kids past third grade unless they could pass a particular standard on reading because up to third grade, you're learning to read. But after third grade, you're reading to learn. And so if you don't have a kid who's able to read, you know, you're really not setting them up for success by you know sending them on to fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And so we needed to address those foundational issues before we you know move the kids forward. Uh, we didn't do anything like that for COVID. And so these, these kids who basically lost not just a year or two. I mean, there was a year of remote learning, a little bit more than a year. But then when we came back, we were in masks. A lot of us were in hybrid learning. So you're right. It was close to two years of learning loss, yep. and we haven't addressed it. And all the metrics uh, really indicate that that's, that's the fact. Like if you look at the uh, standardized test scores, um, you know, half the kids were not meeting standard in math prior to COVID, which already is frustrating for me. But then after COVID, it was down to only a third of kids were meeting standard. And then the feeling was that it was going to bounce back fairly quickly, but we've only bounced back to 39%. So we've got a long way to go to make up for this COVID learning loss. Well, I, I'm kind of surprised because, I, like I said, I sat on boards for about 20 years in uh, educational boards. And when things got rough on, on uh, what the kids were doing in, in the classroom as far as accountability and testing, when things got rough, what they do would be OSPI or somebody would change the test. You'd have a different way mm-hmm. of applying your accountability. So tell us a yeah. little bit more uh, be, before we go to break here. Let's talk, begin the talk about what, it, what, what is OSPI, not what it is, but what are you going to do? And why do you think you can do it when... Well, you know, the... Um... The Supreme, sorry, the uh, the the um, Seattle Times uh, really kind of hit the nail on the head, and uh, they've they've accused the um, 
the sitting superintendent of public instruction of, uh, quote, cheerleading near mediocrity. Okay. And uh, the guy who high fives kids plodding along the slow lane and assures everyone that all is well. That, that's a quote. Uh, and so that's really the root problem here is that he's in denial and he's trying to, uh, you know, say, oh, no, nothing to see here, folks, you know, move along. And I think that's not the, uh, the recipe for success here. We have to be a little tough on ourselves and realize the problem and do proactive things to address it rather than just pray it goes away. Uh, right. When I was president of the school board, we did the same sort of thing during the, uh, the Great Recession, you know, when we were trying to right. deal with passing bonds, when, you know, economically everyone is just, you know, really stopped and, and we were failing bonds left and right. We started being really tough on ourselves. You know, we made sure that we had the lowest overhead, administrative overhead in King County and the lowest cost per square foot of new construction and the best bond rating and all these things. You know, no, no findings in our state audit. Those are the kind of things that you can do to reassure the public that you're being tough on yourself and you're addressing the problem. Uh, we're not getting that kind of messaging from Superintendent Public Construction right now. In fact, he gets really upset if you use terms like learning loss because they highlight the problem. And he's trying to change the language rather than address the issues. Wow. Okay. So where do you go to, to make that change? Well, we need somebody uh, leading the helm at OSPI who's, who's willing to make those, those tough decisions and address the, the challenges that we have here post-COVID and uh, is willing to kind of recognize that we need to put the focus back on academic achievement. Our schools are going so many different directions right now, and teachers are strapped with all these new you know, unfunded mandates and you know, requirements to teach all these things other than core academics. Right. I think if you look at what parents saw in that little window that they had into the classroom during COVID, usually over their, their student's laptop, <laughs> over their shoulder looking at their laptop, they really weren't impressed with what the kids were seeing in, in the classroom. Right. And it's, it's ironic that we have so much transparency for like teacher salaries and yet practically nothing when it comes to what we're actually teaching children in the classroom. Okay. And I want to see more transparency. Yeah. Well, Okay, so we're going to take a break, and on that note, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come right back and talk some more about where you're going to, where one would go in OSPI to improve our children's education. This is Charlie Crabtree with Four Corner version of Saturday Morning Live. We'll be right back. Hey, Les Schwab Tires here. Right now, you can save up to $150 on select sets of four tires during our Founders Celebration Sale. So stop in, save some money, and help your family stay safe on the road. You'll see we have plenty of tire savings to go around, and around, and around, and around. Check out our tires on sale and book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. See LesSchwab.com slash sale for details. At the UPS Store, we know this upcoming holiday is when things can get busy for small business owners. Exactly. My to-do list and I don't take days off. That's why you can count on us to be open and ready to help with every small business need, whether it's packing and shipping or if it's just to check your mailbox. That's almost everything on my to-do list. My list and I can take the day off. Woo-hoo! Your local, the everything to help you be unstoppable store. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. The UPS Store locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours may vary. See center for details. I lock up my Old Spice Fiji Aluminum Free Dry Spray to keep that 24-7 lasting freshness safe for myself. Fresh coconuts, palm trees in the wind. It's like catching waves in Fiji. Actually, I just talked myself into a refreshing spritz of Fiji. My Old Spice is missing! No! Lindale Glass is your premier window and door company in Whatcom and Skagit County. With over 35 years of professional installation experience, you can rely on the dedicated employees at Lindale Glass to provide an exceptional install. Lindale Glass features Milgard windows and doors, leading the industry with innovative, high-quality products. You can be assured of a product that is customized for your home. No shortcuts, no gimmicks, just excellent service and exceptional quality from Milgard. Visit a Lindale showroom to learn more or online at lindaleglass.com. Good morning and welcome back to the fourth corner version of Saturday Morning Live. This is Charlie Crabtree. I'm on the air with Chad Magandas, rhymes with Agandas, who is running for OSPI. He's 
Um, he has explained to us some of his qualifications, which are an awesome explanation. And we're working a little bit into what can be done as far as uh, our state-level school organization, I would call it. Um, here in Whatcom County, Chad, we've we've been able to uh, have a different look in most of our school districts with new uh, board members, and they are anxious to take up some of the things that you're talking about. But let's get back to what you're talking about. How are you? How are you? You've talked a little bit before the break about how you would uh, uh, you explain the problem to us. You can go from there. Give us a uh, a spiel on on how we improve. Go back to improving education for our kids. Well, I think it it really comes down to respecting parental rights, local control for the districts, and uh, and improving transparency into our public schools. We have to rebuild trust in our public schools right now because I think a lot of parents feel that um, they've they've gone in the wrong direction and they're not the welcoming. Um, you know, public schools of our past. Right. You know, back in the past, when we focused on you know academic achievement and career skills and basic civics, like what you would take on a on a citizenship exam, uh, it's gotten into political ideology. Uh, it's gotten into a lot of divisive uh, racial and you know equity issues. Where really, I think the focus needs to be on equal opportunity rather than you know equal outcomes. Uh, right. We need to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to pursue whatever path they want to take and put them back in charge of their own destiny rather than feeling like we have to, you know, aggressively pursue, um, you know, measures that frankly are discriminating based on race in order to ensure equal outcomes. And so if we, if we can create public schools that are that common ground, something that everybody can agree on, like academic achievement and, you know, career skills and civics, everybody's going to feel comfortable sending their kids back to school. And a lot of these enrollment issues that we have right now, you know, and statewide enrollment is down about 4%. And yep. in districts like mine, where parents have more options, frankly, our enrollment's down 10%. Right. We just had to close three elementary schools. And I think it really indicates uh, a lack of trust now in, in the public school system. And we need to address that quickly uh, because, it's, as you know, it's rough running a school district that has declining enrollment. Yep. Nobody likes to close schools and, you know, fire teachers. Uh, and we need to have a focus on making sure that all of the potential customers, and when I say customers, I mean our communities, our parents, as well as the children, are are comfortable sending their kids to public school. I th- and I'm going to insert a little bit and do a, a, a crabby attitude thing a little uh, somewhat. Mm-hmm. I, I'm aware of uh, a school district in in. Um, in this area uh, of the fourth corner, uh, it's actually Marysville. And Marysville has failed two levies in a row. So they have no money coming in next year. People don't realize that. But next year from a levy, they in, in this year and the latter part of last year could not meet payroll. They were mm-hmm. having a really, really tough time adjusting to the fact of all the students they lost and all the things that had happened to them, including the double levy loss, and even way back to, you know, an incident on one of their campuses where there was violence. And what I'm finding or looking at all these other districts is it's kind of like you say, they're losing students and they don't have whatever you want to call it, the training or the capability to react to that budget-wise. So they're, they're spending um, and spending, and they don't have the student count to support that. And one of my concerns and one of the reasons I had you on is, is the current OSPI is just kind of like, la, 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 we can get more money from the legislature. And kids in Whatcom County... I think it's averaging right around between seventeen and eighteen per eighteen thousand dollars per student in a cost to educate them, and that's with two or three districts that are fifteen thousand dollars. By some accounts, it's over nineteen thousand now. Oh yeah, yeah. there's twenty thousand so here. Investment. Yeah, yeah. We're we're actually we have the highest compensated teachers in the nation now. 
Right. And you, our, our cost per student, you know, is definitely one of the highest. And so money is not the primary issue at this point. We're hemorrhaging enrollment, not because of money. And, and remember, it's not just enrollment. You know, we have, you know, we talk a lot about silent quitting, right? Well, we have silent dropouts right now. One third of students have a chronic attendance issue post COVID. One, One third. I mean, they missed over three weeks of school wow. in a year. And so we've got a lot of kids who are technically not dropped out or, or disenrolled, but they're not engaged either. And that's another issue we need to address. Well, so how are you going to do all of that? And how does that get out there enough for uh, you to become? Because you are running for, I'm going to just say, I hope the people understand what OSPI stands for. Um, but you're going to run for that, right? It's a nonpartisan it's position. State school superintendent, yeah, yeah. in charge of. Yeah. All the public schools in the state, yes. And and here's how we get there. You know, the first thing is we roll back a lot of the memos that we've gotten. And the memos are, are more like executive orders that the superintendent of public instruction has issued to the districts. Okay. You know, uh, guidance on policy and things like that that have distracted from our core mission. And one example I have is that um, we, were, we were sent a memo uh, from OSPI, you know, right when we came back from COVID that basically said that we're going to have to actively deceive parents uh, about what their kids were doing in school, specifically what what names they were using, what genders they had in school. We had to basically lie to parents about what was going on with their kids, uh, according to this memo from OSPI, because they considered it private medical information, which it isn't because it's public. It's being used publicly throughout the school by all the other students, by all the teachers in the classes. And we were supposed to, you know, pretend like that wasn't happening when we communicate with parents and use their their old names and their old genders. Um, and as a teacher, that really bothered me because I think of it as a partnership that, our, that we teachers have with parents. It's a trust. And parents have yeah. a, yes, and, and parents have a constitutional right. The Supreme Court has ruled that you know, parents have a fundamental right to the care, custody, and control of their children, and the government should not interfere with that right unless the parents deem them fit. And there's a due process to determining a parent to be unfit. And trust me, as a mandatory reporter, if we see evidence of any kind of abuse or neglect, we are obligated to report it, and we do so right away. Right. But this presumption of guilt that was inherent in that memo, that if, if we told parents that their, their kids were you know, using a different pronoun or a different name, that they would be in danger, um, I just I have a fundamental issue with that. I don't believe it's constitutional, and it's distracting from our core mission. Now teachers are afraid to talk to parents because— they're either you know misgendering them or misnaming them. You know, it's it's like walking a minefield. Right. And so a lot of us just you know we don't communicate with parents anymore. That is not how we get to a better a better system. Right. We need to be partnering with parents at every opportunity, and that means more transparency in the schools for parents, not less. Right. So exactly because back in the day in the '90s and the early turn of the century, our goal was increase student learning and the safety of the students to be able to get that learning. And I have exactly. not heard that in years. It, it, yep, because just, our, our mission has been distracted by so many other priorities. That's quite frankly, our, our ideological, partisan ideological uh, priorities. Right. Now, we need to get back to that core mission. Let me give another example. Um, when uh, Bellevue School District uh, was getting ready to go back to, back to the classrooms, the, um, the teachers' union decided that they didn't want to go back yet, and so they struck. They had a work stoppage, and classes stopped um, throughout the school district because the teachers refused to to do their job. And I looked at that, you know, and I, I'll be the first to admit, I'm actually not a member of the union, even though I've been a full-time teacher. I'm certificated in computer science and technology ed- education. I have a master's degree in, in teaching from Central Washington University. I'm actually certified to teach in two other states, but I didn't join the union because the Janus decision allowed me to make that decision. And, and here's why, because, you know, this, this has got the priorities all wrong. We were essentially declaring that students are unessential and that teachers are unessential workers and refusing to go back to the classroom. While all of these, you know, quote, essential workers, like those working in our grocery stores and delivering our mail and delivering our packages, they've been working all the way through. And so I kept my classes going. I I made sure that my students knew that we were having class and they were expected to do the work. And I got so many positive emails from parents saying, thank you for putting your students first. Right. That's the kind of focus that we need to have to get through this. Yeah. 
So let's wrap up a little bit. We've got about a minute and a half left. And uh, tell us just a good summary of what we talked about. Well, it all really comes down to a better partnership with parents and more transparency into the system to, to create that trust that's now missing in our public schools. Let me give you an example. Um, when we came back from schools, uh, we were hybrid for a while, where half the kids were in class and half weren't. And we installed these cameras in our classroom. Um, and the cameras turned out to be really useful for kids because they could go and review things they missed because we recorded all the sessions. And I kept those cameras going, and still to this day, I have my cameras going in every single class. Yep. And that allows the kids to go back and review any content that we've seen before. If they're you know, maybe quarantined with COVID, they can watch from home. Um, but the parents can also watch from home. And I want my classroom to be an open book. I want parents to feel comfortable about everything that's happening in my, that's happening in my classroom. Also, if there's ever a complaint, you know, the principal can go back and watch the footage, have a new appreciation now for why law enforcement likes body cams. <laughs> um, but probably most importantly for a teacher is that the kids know that they're on record, that, that anything that happens in the classroom, there's just evidence of exactly what happened. And it's not going to come into a he said, she said kind of situation. We're just going to review the footage. So the kids are on great behavior. I do not have classroom management uh, problems in my classroom. Now, yeah. yes. What it does mean is I have to be on at all times. Yep. On good behavior, I have to make sure that I'm the best possible teacher I can be because it's on the record. Okay. And I think that's a great solution. <laughs> so do I. Thanks. So, I'm very, very happy you came on. I really appreciate your time. Hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Um, thank. I can't say enough for being up this early Saturday morning. I know you're a busy guy. This is Charlie. Well, Crabtree. I appreciate the plug. My, my, my website is voteforchad.com if you ever have any follow-up questions. Voteforchad.com. Voteforchad.com. This is Charlie Crabtree with the fourth corner version of Saturday Morning Live. Have a good day. <laughs>